What are the megatrends in the heat treat industry? Are new materials going to eliminate the need for heat treating? What impact will lower energy prices have on the heat treat industry? How about the impact of additive manufacturing and the Internet of Things? Stick around because this week on Heat Treat Radio, we're going to talk to Heat Treat Industry Consultant Thomas Wingens about these questions and many more. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm Doug Glenn, publisher of Heat Treat Today and your host for this Heat Treat Radio interview with Thomas Wingens. Heat Treat Radio's home is on the web at www.heattreattoday.com. If you haven't already, take some time to look over the site. At least daily, new heat treat content is added. Content that is targeted at manufacturers with in-house heat treat departments, especially in the aerospace, automotive, medical, and energy sectors. Look it up on the web, www.heattreattoday.com. But before we jump into the interview, let me explain a few things. First, this interview was conducted on July 26, 2016 at a Starbucks in a northern suburb of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That location was about halfway between where Mr. Wingens lives with his family and where I live with my family. It was an ideal meeting point, with one possible exception. Starbucks has great coffee, but it is not known as an ideal recording location, so you're going to hear a good bit of background noise, including, at times, some very young potential future heat treaters asking mommy for some more sweets. Nonetheless, it is a good interview, and the background noise adds a real element of realness to this heat treat discussion. Secondly, I had only one microphone for this interview, so we made sure that Mr. Wingens was able to be heard. Most of my comments were, in fact, unintelligible, uh, more so than usual. You'll hear me making some comments in the background, but we'll dub in my questions in the production studio with our crack audio technician, Jonathan Condon from Butler, Pennsylvania. That's why my comments, by and large, will be much more clear than Mr. Wingen's comments. Nonetheless, I promise, the interview will be very understandable. With those caveats, let's get started. The first question I asked Thomas was to introduce himself and then tell us about himself, especially about his family history, which is filled with heat treat references and, to be quite frank, it's pretty interesting. Here's what he had to say. I'm Thomas Wingens and um, I'm uh, consulting the heat treat industry and specialize on business development and market entry, especially for the heat treating industry, uh, furnace manufacturing and everything that has to do with materials in a broader way. My grandfather started after the war. Uh, during the war he started with the heat treating, but uh, he started with his own company after the war and uh, uh, he started with a, a heat treat shop in Germany. And then uh, he had three fun sons and they all stepped in the same sh- shoes and uh, started their own heat treat shops. And um, so my father started in, s- in the 70s uh, with the vacuum and nitriding technology. And matter of fact, he um, bought one of the first vacuum furnaces built by Ibsen and Cleve, Germany, a VFC 224 back then. Uh, in 71. 
And then he, he later on in 78, uh, he bought an Abar furnace, which was in 78 the, the latest and greatest uh, from Don Frumkin, is a legend on sales from yes, Abar. Uh, yeah. And then uh, in, uh, later on, uh, a big one from Degussa, from Paul Hyman, who was a known individual from Degussa and today ALD. And uh, so it went on and on. Um, but anyhow, he, uh, he sold uh, the heat treats and uh, had two of them. One was actually the first to body coat outside, uh, the first international acquisition from body coat, from body coat. Okay. was my father's heat treat in, in Nuremberg, Germany. In, in, uh, body coat being the English, English based company at that time, yeah? Yes, yeah. it was uh, solely UK based and um, so the first acquisition was in 88 in Germany, my father's heat treat. And um, so my, my uncle actually and my cousins all stayed in the heat treat uh, industry and they remain having a uh, heat treat shop in southern Germany, Stuttgart area. As you can see, heat treat is in Thomas's blood. Before we jump into megatrends, I asked Thomas about his background. Thomas? I grew up on, com on the company ground um, and uh, so since I was 12 I worked in the heat treat shop all my vacation and the weekends and uh, so from, from easy assembling workloads and uh, mainly induction hardening, loading furnaces and repairing furnaces but um, yeah my real professional life I started was 16 as a metallurgist at ThyssenKrupp Specialty Steels um, and then investigating tool and die failures and uh, during my, my studies of material science at the university I worked also at materials research at Volvo in Sweden and uh, developed for them the corporate standards for retained austenite determination and then um, I made my uh, at Bola Uderholm in Austria in 1996 actually they got into the metal powders and hip business mm -hmm. so I developed uh, alloy and uh, heat treating for their high-speed steel developments and then I worked as an um, yeah, engineer in the heat treat shop for, for, for claims and such and um, the, the big step was for me in 1999 Mario Champini, the CEO back then of Epson hired me um, to come to the US to Rockford, Illinois, and um, uh, work as a tool and die administrator. Terry Bachmeyer from Thyssen back then placed a bigger order uh, for vacuum furnaces for their um, tool and die heat treatment, so he needed somebody with knowledge in that field. And um, so in 2005, I left as a general manager for vacuum products uh, from Ibsen and got hired by uh, a gentleman from uh, Jan Elvert from back then managing director for body coat in Europe um, as a business developer uh, director for Europe so um, with a task to develop the Eastern European market for body coat during the three years we acquired 30 heat treat shops in Poland, Romania, Turkey, Brazil, Germany until the, the financial crisis they're very successful uh, in acquiring and also integrating uh, small heat treat shops and you know a lot of heat treat service heat treat shops are uh, especially in Eastern Europe they were fairly small you know that uh, right. only a couple of people and a couple of million sales right. these are not corporations yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah that was a, a very aggressive growth and um, 
that was a very turbulent, very interesting times back then. Um, and after that, um, in 2011, I, I started my own consulting business and um, consulted some of the leading furnace companies um, to, on acquisitions and on uh, integration and also market entry strategies. Thomas's work experience over the past couple of decades has taken him into several of the major economies of the world, including Europe and America. And he's had the added benefit of working for big and small companies in the heat treat world. He's an avid follower of all things heat treat. That's why I felt comfortable asking him about megatrends in the industry. So here is Thomas discussing what he sees as megatrends that will impact the heat treat industry. Well, there are a couple of mega trends which are defined uh, by, you know, forecasting the situation. So whatsoever you hear that all the time, but, um, and people read this all the time. Internet of Things or uh, Industry 4.0, as they call it in, in Europe, uh, it's certainly something which is um, impacting in a various way the industry. Um, more, I think, on the consumer side, but, but also, of course, uh, very much broadly uh, in the manufacturing, in the connection and linking of um, the processes, right. uh, especially in association with, with uh, additive manufacturing and such things, but uh, that's, uh, I will, we will address that later. Um, artificial intelligence, big data. Um, I mean, self-driving cars and such, this is uh, obviously the result of it. And um, the, the sharing economy, um, definitely, um, you see with, uh, you know, like Uber and one thing, but uh, it's very popular in, in Europe, especially in the bigger cities, uh -huh. that you do not own the car, that you just take it, you know. You, you right. know I, I'm a member of uh, Car2Go in, in Germany, yeah. and... Um, there's always a car on the street. You just hold your uh, your iPhone and your smartwatch, and pops up and uh, it opens and uh, you hop in. It's an electric-driven car, and you drive it anywhere and just leave it there and you walk on. And uh, it's very convenient because it's always available and it doesn't cost uh, to, for to park in, in the big cities. You know, they have this little smart car. So the sharing economy definitely is something uh, for cars. Uh, not need for the for the metropolitan area, yeah. uh, very interesting thing, and um, of course then the electric cars. That that's something which will uh, impact uh, the heat treat industry or our industry. Uh, if you have seen, no one would have expected that. But a couple of years ago, I was at Volkswagen, and they said. Uh, I, I asked them, why do they need more and more heat treat equipment? They say, well, you know, of course, uh, the gearboxes get more gears, right? Yeah. And uh, so in the 80s, you had uh, like four speed, and, and today you're heading up to nine and 10 speed transmissions. So right, right. you have uh, um, need more gears. But um, people see that coming to an end. And um, with with the electrification of the cars uh, so that if you think that um, the gear manufacturing is probably standing for uh, 25 or 30 percent of the entire heat treat industry that's a lot because it's not um, 
only the gear itself it's it's a hobbing the machine the cutting of the gear um, but also the you know the gearbox housing um, needs to be casted in a die and such so there's a lot uh, to it uh, to uh, manufacturing of gear and its volume so um, and then uh, the fuel injection system uh, we talk about peak diesel um, so is a diesel on a decline, the diesel um, increased the volume of heat treating quite sufficiently, especially in Europe, uh, with Bosch and such. Uh, a lot of components need to be heat treated. So uh, all that will uh, change with uh, the electric cars, of course, but uh, there will be new uh, items that need to be heat treated. Um, um, the question is, can they cover the volume? Because um, we are living in a, a field of dematerialization and um, that is definitely a trend um, even though i spoke the other day uh, to the heat treat uh, leader at um, linamar and um, i said you know with with all the uh, the gearboxes or the uh, additional gears um, you know, we talk about the next uh, generation is now for Ford and GM is a 10-speed transmission, right? Yes. I, said they, uh, I, th I thought the cars need to be lighter, right? Not heavier. So I said, well, even the, the, the new 10-speed transmission is lighter than the old 8-speed. And that, that says a lot, right? Um, so uh, you have, you're able with new heat treats, uh, and new designs, be able to make things lighter, hollow shafts, and um, so the dematerialization is, is going onward. So um, that also leads to that, that uh, components are differently heat treated because if the uh, gears need less load, are getting smaller, maybe they're made out of different material. They not necessarily need deep, so deep case of carburizing. You can make a shallower case of carburizing, or maybe even with nitriding or plasma nitriding or carbon nitriding. So um, it it uh, it may shift here from the big good standards that you have established over years that people uh, look there into uh, more specific, smaller, more sophisticated. Uh, heat treats and uh, designs and different materials uh, to manufacture these new components. So the volumes, um, I think, will, will show this. Thomas spoke about dematerialization. I asked him if that was the same as lightweighting, and I asked him to talk about that. Very much so, very much so. So uh, that is taking place, yeah, two main things. First of all, um, we use the proper material uh, at the proper place. We're not making the entire car out of uh, uh, carbon sheet metal. Uh, so uh, we, we use uh, different uh, sheet metal gauges and we do the heat treating of the beat column and we use aluminum uh, for some part or the, for the total body whatsoever. Uh, so we do change the material and we make things lighter through better design and that is supported to additive manufacturing. Actually last week when I was in Germany I visited a company who made uh, uh, the frame of a motorbike. 
and the entire motorbike was only 35 kilo, which is 70 pounds, so you could lift it up. And um, that, that's amazing. It's uh, it's a it's a bionic um, structure. It's like a bone structure, you know, but exposed a little bit. What's the material? It was aerospace aluminum. Aerospace aluminum. Okay. Yeah. So specially alloy, made with 3D printing. In a very unique bionic design, yeah. uh, which is not possible to manufacture with regular machining. You have to do it with 3D because it's um, it's so complex to, to manufacture. Uh, so the only way to do this complex design is with 3D printing. So they applied the benefits of 3D printing with the bionic engineering and the best material uh, for that purpose uh, to make a very lightweight uh, motorbike. So if you see these possibilities, um, they uh, add up. I next asked Thomas if this lightweighting, using the right materials in the right places, and the new 3D structures that are being created, what type of impact they had on heat treating? Well, um, you, you see uh, for certain aluminum alloys, more and more also heat treating. Um, that is taking place uh, for engine housings and gearbox housing and uh, for uh, heat-treated components for the automotive industry. Um, so certain alloys need to be heat-treated and those um, also here this heat-treating uh, is, is become aluminum heat-treating uh, becoming also more popular especially with high pressure quenching yeah. not only with water quenching because of distortion right. also that is a factor here as yeah. well yeah. yeah but for this particular alloy the, there was uh, no heat treating required okay so the mega trends covered briefly thus far are the internet of things or internet 4.0 artificial intelligence the sharing economy electric cars and dematerialization or lightweighting anything else uh, the additive manufacturing and, and, and new energy uh, will, will be, for the heat treat industry, relevant. Uh, if we focus on the heat treating, the additive manufacturing, um, uh, electrification of the cars uh, will have, and new energies will have the ma main impact. Um, actually, Airbus just started a joint venture with Siemens to build electric airplanes. Airplanes, yes. And um, that, that was a shocker to me because um, here the weight is, is more essential than anywhere else. So we can expect the unexpected. That is, uh, is something uh, which is more and more taking place because um, uh, people. Uh, did not expect that digital picture will go as quick as it did um, and mp3 and videos and books and everything that has to do with us will uh, be so quick and disrupting the industry and um, I think the, um, the success of Tesla and um, uh, really shocked uh, established manufacturers uh, that it is possible even to uh, be a serious car manufacturer um, uh, or consider a serious car manufacturer which is um, selling uh, very well. I think no one would have expected that uh, five years ago. Five years ago if somebody would have said 
uh, a, a computer company will go into uh, car manufacturing like yeah. Apple is expected to do, yes. they would have laughed about it and exactly. said, you know, we're going to have to take it seriously. Yes. People take today everything seriously yeah. because they have learned their lesson from Kodak. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I next asked Thomas what impact he thought these megatrends would have on heat treat technologies. Here's what he had to say. Well, we, we, we see um, due to the dematerialization and larger variety of alloys and uh, the additive manufacturing uh, that all comes together uh, that we see more specific heat treats. Uh, one piece flow is, is one thing, so that means um, in, in a matured market as we have here in the US as well as in Europe, the uh, time time to deliver will be essential and um, so uh, with with additive manufacturing people do not want to wait uh, two weeks for the heat treats uh, or a week even uh, if the part is made in 24 hours right so um, it has to be in sync with, with the uh, fast manufacturing of, uh, of the additive or 3d 3d printing and uh, and those will be single parts or uh, small batches, so uh, they need to be heat treated individually uh, in-house in small furnaces most likely with um, a specific process. And um, so we, have, we see here a growth of a, a specific variety of, of heat treatment processes and um, we see also um, uh, the, a shallower, um, you know, the lightweight, of course, smaller parts need shallower case depth of carburizing, uh, which, um, and you see more carbonitriding because it's it's uh, faster and it's um, the control with probes actually is today much more better, and uh, the um, the outcome is most um, is better than it used to be. Um, we have a much better handle on nitriding today than it, gas nitriding in particular. Um, so it became more in established standards even in aerospace application. Uh, ten years ago it was not existent in, in, in aerospace, today it is. So nitriding um, is replacing some carburizing and nitriding, and especially nitrocarburizing, FNC, is replacing coating. We see a lot of spec changes at Ford and others uh, to replace nickel plating with FNC uh, uh, heat treatment, uh, very often in the combination with post-oxidation. So uh, that is um, uh, an established process today, uh, environmental more friendly than uh, hot chrome coating or nickel plating. So, um, and with the benefit of harder surface very often, better, better corrosion resistance actually. So we see that. Uh, we, we see um, a strong growth in uh, DLC, diamond-like carbon coating. Um, um, all these, these PVD uh, coatings, um, uh, you know, they were extremely expensive, um, but today um, uh, DLC actually found its way, so it wasn't only applied for uh, tools, right? Today we see it on components for cars. Yeah. So, 
and uh, we see uh, always increasing a wider range of uh, DLC coatings, especially in the car industry. We see uh, more light metal heat treating, titanium definitely uh, is, is nicely steadily growing metal, uh, but also some more uh, heat treatable aluminum grades. Um, we see more uh, powder uh, compensation centering, uh, heat treating, uh, whereas here the, the bridge is also to hip, not as a static pressing, near net shape components. That is the large additive manufacturing scale. So when you when parts components are getting too large to make them with additive manufacturing with uh, laser. You make a, a, a capsule, a can, yeah. and uh, fill it with powder and inhibit. So that, that is, um, um, becomes more widely avail available, and um, especially for larger uh, parts uh, which uh, are used for offshore industry or uh, for, for stainless steel components and such. I was curious if Thomas felt that any particular geography stood out to benefit in the future. The conversation took a sharp turn toward a positive future here in the United States. Um, I, I, I think we are an, an extremely good ground here. Uh, reason is automation. The, uh, if you see, we had it from Tesla before, but if you see how our Tesla is made in the Bay Area, where the labor rate was the most expensive place in the U.S. to build a car, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the next step would be to make it lower Manhattan, right? Downtown uh, <laughs> <laughs> Washington, D.C. or something. Yeah. No, uh, so uh, I think uh, the, automa the automation is taking place uh, to, and uh, labor rate in all these countries is increasing and um, you want to be fast and close to the customer, to the consumer and um, people like to have individual uh, quality components and parts and cars and product and um, I, I think uh, the impact of labor is getting less in terms of cost and complex automated machinery need to be maintained and if you don't have the right skilled labor force and your big investments of million dollars is sitting idle because you don't have the labor people can't fix it so you have a problem so um, i think the uh, additive manufacturing and the automation uh, will play uh, a good uh, benefit, it will be very beneficial for the U.S. Uh, manufacturing. The crucial is uh, growth. So if you, if you don't have a population growth, you don't have a market growth, uh, and you don't have a, a sustainable market, I think um, uh, that, that is very challenging. A lot of people don't see that. So if you don't, uh, you, you need growth. And uh, steady state. If you you see this in, in Japan, I mean they have everything but growth. They don't have growth. Population growth. Population growth. Yeah. And um, so, uh, and it, it, it's very difficult to maintain here uh, a good uh, economic uh, environment. Once we started talking about population growth, that sparked a thought in my mind about growing the population of young people entering the heat treat industry. I asked Thomas to comment. 
Well, engineering material science requires hard, not soft skills, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, that needs to be understood and need to be appreciated again and, and uh, honored. Yeah. yeah. Um, so and and paid that way, so that people need to understood. You know, a lot of people say I cannot get people because they're not willing to pay them. Right. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is, you see, when my father uh, started his heat treat, he hired laid-off coal miners in the 70s. Uh -huh. For them, the oil mist was an upgrade, right? T today, today it's not the, the case anymore. So heat treats, uh, to attract good and smart people, you need to have a proper uh, a modern environment. And a lot of people forget that. Now that's a pretty straightforward answer. You want more people? Pay them well and give them a good work environment. As we started to wind down the interview, I asked Thomas, what's a heat treater to do? He's laid out, Thomas has laid out some megatrends, new or growing technologies, speculated that the North American economy is in good condition for the next several decades, and has suggested how it is we can attract new young people into the industry. What else can we do to prepare for the future? I, I think the most important thing is to piggyback with your performing customer. Stay close to the customers uh, which are performing good. And um, uh, in, that, in that close work effort, uh, I think uh, you will, uh, I mean, there, there are ups and downs in every business and you have cycles and everything, but if, if you're, uh, we have a very good, um, society and connected infrastructure here and uh, I think um, if you are focusing on, on your good customers um, who appreciate your work, <laughs> yes, I, I think you will be doing fine. Probably the most emphatic answer I got from Thomas was when I asked him if he saw the day of metals fading, say for example to plastics or composite materials. No. No, and, and the reason is, it is, um, the opposite is, is the case. The opposite is the case, yes. Um, because, once again, people have discovered the variety of materials. And um, I, before I came here, I was sitting together with an, a patent attorney and is uh, consulting or doing patents for the steel industry. And um, he said, um, the amount of patents in materials is increasing. Right, yeah. so uh, that, that tells you that people put money into and research into uh, this developing metals, yeah. and uh, the variety of metals are getting broader. People are getting smarter how to apply the metals uh, in in the proper way. A lot of metals are misused, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. and uh, the longer there is metal, there will be heat treat. We wrapped up the interview talking about the impact of relatively low energy prices and the effect that would have on manufacturing and in-house heat treating here in the USA. My contention is that manufacturing follows low energy prices. Thomas wrapped up the interview with an interesting perspective on the cost of doing some heat treatments in the USA versus Mexico, a conclusion that might be a bit surprising. That is definitely the, the, uh, the case. Uh, if, if you see um, uh, investments uh, taking place from the steel industry, and I tell you, one of the larger, uh, if not the largest, European 
uh, steel manufacturer Wurst Alpine uh, made the biggest investment in Texas for a steel mill for um, making um, direct reduction iron um, and uh, Nucor has put up a direct reduction iron uh, furnace in uh, Louisiana three years ago. It was uh, a huge investment, I think of 700 million. Uh, Tenaris uh, built uh, in, in Texas uh, for one and a half billion a pipe steel mill and that is all driven by uh, low energy. Uh, that's a special DRI, direct reduction iron, is, is uh, where the gas is cheap, that's where they go. And uh, people actually, um, is the, the heat treating uh, for deep case carburizing is less expensive in the States than in Mexico because the furnace costs the same uh, and with uh, longer term treatments like deep case carburizing uh, the, the impact of labor costs is getting less so it's more driven by the gas cost by the energy cost and these are a quarter in the states and in mexico yeah. so um, that, that makes it less expensive here to heat treat than in uh, mexico Thanks, Thomas, for agreeing to be interviewed. Oh, pleasure. Thank you. With that, we wrapped up the Heat Treat Industry Megatrends interview, complete with Starbucks background noise. If you're interested in talking to Thomas, please feel free to contact me at Doug at HeatTreatToday.com and I'll put you in touch with him. If you'd like more Heat Treat Radio, including our series on metallurgical poster children, where we interview young, fresh metallurgical minds, please visit our website at www.heattreattoday.com and click on Heat Treat Radio. Visit the website frequently. We post at least one heat treat news or technology item every weekday. Our content is targeted at manufacturers with in-house heat treat departments, especially in the aerospace, automotive, medical, and energy sectors. Visit us at www.heattreattoday.com. And finally, if you have a specific topic you'd like to see covered on Heat Treat Radio, please contact me directly. Again, my email, doug at heattreattoday.com. Heat Treat Radio podcasts are the sole property of Heat Treat Today and cannot be reproduced without permission and appropriate attribution. This episode of Heat Treat Radio was produced and mixed by Jonathan Condon, Butler, Pennsylvania. My name is Doug Glenn. Thanks for joining us.